Hello and welcome to episode 58 of On Liberty, coming to you live from the Center for Independent Studies in Sydney, Australia. I'm your host, Salvatore Bobonis, and joining me today is Armel Verbuffet, Country Director for Australia at Business France. Armel Verbuffet, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, and uh, thanks a lot for your invitation. Oh, well, how could we resist? Because today is July 14th, and as I'm sure everyone knows, that is Bastille Day, the French national holiday. As Bastille Day dawns in France right about now, can you tell us what it means for French people? Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, that's uh, Bastille Day is an important day for French people. Uh, it's a day when uh, we are celebrating uh, the, the unity of the French nation. So uh, as you know, Bastille Day is uh, celebrating the, the storming of Bastille. Uh, but also what happened one year later uh, with the, the, the Fête de la Fédération, uh, that was uh, so just one year after the storming of Bastille, when French people gathered in uh, Paris and uh, really were together uh, without any blood or uh, any violence, it was a very peaceful celebration to celebrate the, uh, the reunification of uh, French nation. And this is really what we are celebrating uh, in France. And so it's uh, really a day when people are uh, dancing together. There are fireworks in France. Uh, it's a, a popular um, uh, uh, gathering and uh, well unfortunately for us we cannot do it this year in uh, in Australia but um, usually the other years uh, before COVID years uh, we were gathering uh, as the French community and uh, sharing this uh, this moment that is that's a, a strong uh, meaningful uh, day for, for French people. So I'm happy to share this day with you today. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Australians might be quite jealous that French people can unabashedly celebrate national togetherness. Of course, Australia Day every year is a big controversy uh, here in Australia. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Australia. We are here to talk about France. And I, I'd like just to start out with the French-Australian trading relationship, because, of course, that's what you manage here for Business France. How robust is this relationship? How much does it matter for both countries? Uh, well, yes, um, Australia's uh, relations with France is uh, a, a positive, uh, strong and uh, historical uh, relation. Uh, the, our relation uh, started years ago, uh, as you know, and we are out both countries are working together in many fields, uh, such as the security, environment, and we are also sharing uh, mutual and common interests uh, here in our Pacific region. Um, and on top of that, or on this context, uh, we've been building very substantial trade uh, relationships and also in strong investments links uh, between Australia and France. Uh, so if economically, uh, our trading and uh, also investment figures have long been on the rise between uh, our two countries, and even last year and since the beginning of uh, the COVID crisis. So 
Australia is really a very important trading partner for, for France. Uh, we've seen mm -hmm. over the past year uh, a wide increase of our French exports to Australia. And it's not only an, an increase in figures, but what I, I consider as uh, most important is that uh, the kind of uh, products we are exporting are very um, diversified. A couple of years ago, we were mainly uh, exporting uh, planes, airplanes. And now mm -hmm. we really see that uh, more and more products are uh, compatible and interesting for the uh, Australian market, just like uh, industrial mm -hmm. equipments or uh, chemical products or even uh, food items, wine, of course. And on the other side, um, Australia's primary uh, resources, um, I mean, um, uh, are, are very, very important for France. And uh, we are importing uh, lots of uh, iron and uh, primary materials from, uh, from Australia. So right. the relation, the trade uh, relationship is a very strong one and stronger, stronger and stronger over the years. But also, uh, and that's something maybe we forget sometimes, but the investments on both sides uh, are really significant and are uh, increasing years after years. Uh, I don't know if you are aware of that, but um, there are about 600 French companies in, uh, already implemented in, uh, in Australia. And this, uh, those companies altogether are, are employing something like 70,000 Australian people. So that's quite significant, even if we do not see it on, on a daily basis, because some of those companies do not even have a French name, but they are French-owned companies. Uh, and so this is something quite significant. And on the other side, in, in France, uh, there are already more than 25,000 people employed by Australian companies, uh, the biggest one being Ramset. Uh, and Ramsey, he is the leading private hospital operator in France. Not only the leading uh, foreign operator, but the leading operator in France with more than 20,000 uh, employees. So this is uh, already a, a significant um, uh, relationship. I mean, a, a daily relationship because it's supported by uh, actual people, actual jobs in uh, both our countries. And this is increasing years after years. Uh, and I do believe that Brexit will uh, might even increase this, uh, this trend. So um, really our relationships are promising uh, because they are also based on on people and on true needs on uh, from our people on, on both sides of uh, of the world because we are on both sides of the world. So, right, uh, right. <laughs> I, I I had no idea that Ramsey Health was was so big in France, but I'd like you bring me back home here to Australia because you said seventy thousand people work at French companies in Australia, that's a very impressive figure. Now, most of us as consumers simply think of French wine and cheese, 
right? And we were surprised when we were reminded by the fact that France is a major industrial country. And of course, you mentioned airplanes and thus, you know, Airbus immediately sprung to mind. But what other kinds of French industrial investments or industrial products might we not be aware are important here in Australia? Uh, well, France is uh, very present in uh, the uh, infrastructure sector uh, with companies such as Buig, uh, Vinci, Aegis. I don't know if you have heard about them, but they, they are major operator in, uh, in Australia, uh, for example, in uh, services to local uh, authorities. Uh, Transdev is uh, operating uh, all the, um, uh, the boats uh, in, the, in the harbor in Sydney, uh, Keolis, uh, Veolia, Suez, Engie in the management of waste and uh, all the environment of uh, our major cities here in Australia. Uh, we are also very uh, present on the cosmetic sector, for example, on health, uh, with large pharmaceutical groups such as uh, Sanofi. I think Sanofi has got uh, almost 5% of all the market share uh, in the sector in Australia. So, um, uh, or also groups such as Servier, uh, uh, Pierre Fabre, uh, all those products, you, you see them in our daily consumption here in Australia. And probably Probably you do not even know that it's French products, but uh, all those are led by French companies or L'Oreal. I was about to forget that one. Uh, I'm, especially, I'm especially interested to hear you mention the infrastructure companies, because, of course, Australia has a massive infrastructure deficit. Um, it, it's something where Australia really, it strikes me, it needs to be... Um, importing talent. Well, we hear a lot about the fact that the travel restrictions due to coronavirus have prevented engineers coming to Australia. What, what kind of presence does French infrastructure have in Australia? What, I mean, what kinds of you know, facilities might I be using or might our, our viewers be using on a daily basis that actually involve some element of French engineering? Uh, well, there are two, two things very interesting in your question. Uh, and, and one of them, and I, because this is one of our major concerns today, is how do we uh, share talents and how can we operate uh, in a context where borders are closed and even before closure uh, in a context where it is quite difficult to, to bring uh, high qualified people and keep them here in Australia on a long-term basis. Uh, that, that was already a problem before uh, the border closure with a system of, of short-term visa. Uh, so that's one very important point. So uh, and, uh, on, on that point, uh, the way we do and the way those companies do, are doing is mostly based on training, uh, trying to, uh, to train Australian people to uh, the way uh, they are expected to work. So has to, uh, to compel with uh, what is uh, expected from the company and, and to, uh, to respect uh, what we have to do uh, according to the contracts with we, we, the company signed. Uh, so there's a lot of training and of, uh, experience sharing from uh, uh, between France uh, and Australia. And, uh, and nowadays, it's 
easier to do it with all our uh, devices. I mean, uh, you can uh, uh, you can work together even if you are very far away, and the, the support of the French team is very strong for the, um, the, the, the local based team here in Australia. Um, we, uh, I, I just take this opportunity to also uh, speak about uh, um, the VIE, VIE. Uh, that is a very specific French program of, uh, that um, enables to have young French high qualified people going abroad all over the world, uh, but especially here in Australia, and coming as um, uh, a trainee in a traineeship for a French company that is based in Australia. And Buig, so one of uh, the big operator in infrastructure in Australia, used to have uh, tens of them uh, supporting its development in Australia. So those people under this scheme can come and work up to two years for a French company in Australia. So they are bringing their skills, their experience, and, and then they, they go anywhere else, they go back to France. Uh, but this has been a very nice way to transfer the knowledge from France to Australia. Uh, of course, now the borders are closed, so they're no longer, they are no longer able to come to Australia. Although some of them might, under some specific uh, skilled uh, agreements. Uh, or, but well, that, that's one of the one of the way uh, to uh, promote uh, the the the, sh the way we can share the know-how and the skills uh, between our two countries. But really, when the French companies such as Bouygues or Vinci or Transdev is implementing uh, its uh, business in Australia, the purpose and, and the way they want to work is hiring Australian people. It's uh, bringing their know-how, but with Australian people operating uh, in the country. Well, on that note, I, I do have to give a quick shout out to uh, some of our viewers who are active in the chat right now, to Richard Anthony. Uh, we have some French conversation going on in the chat. So, uh, oh, that's good. <laughs> some French speaking Australians. And we do actually have the question in English uh, asking Do French companies in Australia value French speaking Australians? That is, are they interested at all? when Australians uh, do speak French and are potential employees who, who are bilingual? Well, th that's really a very important point, of course, because when you do business uh, with uh, two uh, countries, uh, the, uh, and even on top of the language, the, the cultural, uh, the mutual cultural understanding is something important. And the first step of course, is the language. So yes, I would definitely say yes, it is important. It's really uh, a key value if uh, you are able to, uh, to speak French. Uh, but of course, uh, most of the people working here in Australia for French companies do not speak French. Uh, yet, if you do, it's really uh, uh, your added value, uh, not only, again, just on the language, because anybody can translate, Google Translate can, could do the job, but really in a way to, uh, to be able to, to cut some of the cultural barriers uh, just through a better understanding uh, through the language. So um, uh, yeah, so 
yes, la, fr speaking French might be uh, is something important. Uh, but on top of that, understanding uh, French culture, French specificity, uh, maybe uh, having a bit of a knowledge of, uh, of France itself uh, is really something very big you can bring to uh, to your company here in Australia. Well, uh, unlike us Americans, uh, Australians do like to think of themselves as very culture savvy and well-traveled. Uh, obviously, just like Americans, they also tend to have problems speaking foreign languages. That's the curse of the entire- We English have the same, problem. we have the same problems. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what kind of, other than language, what other kinds of intercultural barriers do you experience um, you know, between France and Australia? Uh, well, uh, there, it's very interesting, this, this, this question, because most many French people do ask me this, this, this question. So uh, I only came to Australia a bit more than two years ago. So uh, I'm still uh, a new uh, expatriate here. Uh, and one of the things we have to, uh, to keep in mind is that uh, our differences are uh, not visible differences. Well, I mean, we are looking just like each other. Uh, the cities are very similar. The way it, we, we seem to have the same kind to, to live on a daily basis. Uh, so the, the differences are more subtle, and uh, especially when we are doing business together. I would just give you a couple of, of examples I've been living myself. Uh, the first one probably is the way we consider time. Uh, for example, uh, for French people, it's not a problem to be a bit late to an appointment. When I say a bit late, it can be up to 15 minutes. And that's really, what's the point? Well, we, oh yeah, sorry, I'm 15 minutes late. Oh, there was a lot of traffic. Um, that's something we have to tell. Uh, that's one of the first things we tell to French people when, uh, when they come here or when they used to come here or when they have an, a meeting. Please be on time. Uh, an appointment has to, to to, to start on time and even more a meeting. When you have a meeting with several people, it's really common in France to start 15 minutes after uh, the supposed beginning time. That's, uh, and even in France, we call it, well, the, the quarter of, a, the French quarter of an hour. So that's one of the, uh, of the, <laughs> of the first difference I see, but sometimes it can be, it can really, make a lot of trouble if for the first meeting you have with your business partner you are 15 minutes late and you don't even ask him for, for to, to excuse you because you consider that well what's the point uh, so that's one of, of the point and, and the same uh, as well for the meetings French meetings are very long uh, they can last two three hours here in Australia it's straight to the point uh, either for a B2B meeting or a big meeting with uh, several people, you know exactly when it's going to start and at what time it's going to stop. Uh, that's uh, what I love that. That's one of the things I love here in Australia, working with Australian people. But for French people, it's that's not the way they're used to, to work. So that's one of the, of the difference. There are lots of other difference. Uh, again, today in, uh, in today's in daily business life, I mean, uh, in, in France, it's not a problem to start a meeting at uh, 6 p.m. 
And in France, if you leave your office, uh, if you're a manager, and if you leave before 6.30, uh, your boss will tell you uh, if you are sick or uh, if you have to, if you had your half day off. So uh, that's part of the things we have to explain uh, on both sides of, the, of our world to make sure people do understand themselves and, and, and do not, uh, and to avoid confusion or, or uh, making trouble among people. Uh, what other difference are uh, lunch pause, for example. In France, uh, you will have a two hours lunch pause and you will invite people for a big lunch. That's the way you, you, you feel that you will make business. Uh, you would never do that in Australia. You will have a, a coffee, a catch-up coffee or a breakfast. And a, uh, So it's not what we call uh, maybe you can call that cultural difference, but that's daily life difference uh, that are important to understand on both sides, because it's also the case when Australian people uh, live in France or go on uh, and do business in France. Uh, the same for clothes. Uh, clothes are much more casual here in Australia than in France, especially for, for men. You, are, you could work in France today, Salvatore. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we really, we really appreciate you not only dressing up for our interview, but especially for being on time, because it would have given us a, quite a heart attack if 15 minutes into our scheduled uh, live stream, we still didn't have our star guest. So thank you very much for um, acceding to uh, Australian business practice. Look, we have a question from Richard in our chat window. He's asking about French technology, uh, French high technology, and specifically about nuclear power expertise. Now, I'm, I'm aware France is a major nuclear power exporter, yeah. not just literally of nuclear electricity in Europe itself, but of nuclear power plants uh, being exported around the world. Uh, in Australia, there's starting to be some discussion around the potential viability of nuclear power for Australia, with Australia's efforts to become carbon neutral. Are you seeing any action around uh, potential French nuclear technology coming to Australia? Uh, well, I'm not an expert on this uh, topic, but... Uh... Not really today. On my side, I do not really, really see um, uh, discussions or uh, a real trend on, on nuclear uh, uh, subjects. Uh, the discussions are much more focused on hydrogen. Uh, and really, there are lots of potential corporations uh, on, on to, already today that are uh, started or being looking at uh, between our two countries. So uh, I would really uh, bet much more on uh, hydrogen technologies than on nuclear, uh, at least for our, what is uh, related to the, co the cooperation between uh, our two countries. Now, That's I know, the way I see it. I know Australia is a leader in hydrogen vehicle yes. technology. Is that actually technology going the other direction from Australia to France? It could be, and it could also be uh, much more on a much more wide uh, aspect. Uh, Technologies, uh, what uh, exchange of technologies, and uh, of the way we produce 
transport and use this uh, new uh, energy uh, and sharing our experience. But uh, the the revolution uh, of our uh, uh, of the of our energy mix uh, will probably be supported by uh, hydrogen uh, tomorrow and uh, uh, companies and governments are already working uh, on that. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, you know, we, we often talk about, we often focus on large scale technology you know, big mm -hmm. tech and infrastructure and such, but I know you also work with small and medium enterprises. What kinds of business are, are you helping French SMEs with in their efforts to break open the Australian market or vice versa? Uh, well, there are lots, lots of uh, SMEs, uh, and uh, it's very interesting not to focus on uh, on those major companies we are we are uh, all aware of. Uh, well, the first uh, the first field uh, you probably uh, are aware of is wine, and uh, so we are working with uh, quite a lot of French wine producers. Uh, and of course, as they cannot physically come to Australia, uh, we are more and more often organizing uh, remote wine testing. So uh, we are importing bottles of wine from France here, and we are organizing uh, wine tasting uh, in different places here in Australia, or also masterclass. Uh, when we have one uh, sommelier, uh, coming uh, to uh, explain the, the specificity of uh, such or such wine. And we are uh, sending samples of the different wines to uh, specific targeted people. I mean, uh, importers, distributors, journalists. Um, and we are organizing uh, some well, two hour session when we are trying, uh, tasting the wines and trying to uh, get a uh, better knowledge. We are uh, sometimes the, the French wine producers uh, can be online with us and uh, explaining uh, the soil, the way they are producing their product. So um, well, we are trying to, to bring uh, French wine and all the, the story around the French wines uh, to Australia. And so this is one of the big uh, potential markets we have. Uh, it's a very a growing market uh, for, for us, for French companies. Uh, but this is just an example. We uh, The food products are also um, very uh, are penetrating the, the Australian market uh, quite quickly. Uh, it can be also on the other way. Uh, I mean, one of the of the way we are much more working on is when uh, an Australian company is uh, telling us that it's got a need for uh, anything. I don't know uh, uh, a new uh, new French biscuits, for example, uh, and so we are trying to understand exactly the kind of product he is looking for. Uh, it's a free service for uh, Australian company. And so we will try to identify the, the French companies that could match uh, the, the, the requirements. And we organize B2B meetings and, uh, and, and that, that's something that is really working 
very well, not only for uh, food products, uh, it can be for also for industrial products. So uh, that's uh, a way to do uh, really uh, specific, well, to, uh, specific business matching between two companies, starting from the need from the Australian uh, market, and not only trying to push French products on the market. Now, we have to wrap up now, we're, we're at the hour, but I, I just have to ask you one final question on behalf of my Australian colleagues. Now, personally, I'm an American teetotaler. I have no horse in this race, but they'll want to know, are Australian wines making an impact in France? When you say making an impact, you mean, do we consume? Do we like Australian <laughs> wines? Do you like? Are they winning awards? Uh, how are Australian wines perceived in, in um, France? Well, French consumers are a bit traditional. I mean, uh, well, one, maybe um, one big part of French people consider that, that French wines are the best uh, wines in the world. But more and more, and especially among young people, we see... A, an, a true interest in uh, what they call new world wines. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they are open. It's a way to travel. I mean, tasting a, 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 a non-French wine is also a way to travel and to, uh, to try to, uh, to get, to, to understand something of uh, another country's, uh, another country uh, way of living or something like that. So uh, Australian wines are more and more uh, accepted or more and more uh, uh, chosen by, especially by young people in France. And I must say that I never had any any Australian wine when I was in France, uh, <laughs> but I have had the opportunity to uh, to discover uh, Australian wine here, uh, and I love them, uh, and I have them uh, tried by some of my French colleagues here in Australia, but also my French family uh, when they visited me when they could come, uh, and they like it so. Really, there is a potential. We have the chance to be two countries really already uh, in, in the culture of drinking wine. We like wines. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to discover and appreciate each other's products. And we do, and we will. more, and two, more. Countries, two, two countries united by insobriety. In, in <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to be saying uh, happy Bastille Day and thank you very much. Thanks for a lot. Thanks today. a lot for inviting me. Have a very nice day. All right. I'd also like to thank our producer, Nick O'Malley. Our executive producer is Max Hawk Weaver. The director of CIS is Tom Switzer. Next week, Monica Wilkie will be interviewing Bitcoin podcaster Stephen Levera. Join her then. Thanks everyone for watching, and you can see us next week 